Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm bestselling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times bestselling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Well, hello, listeners. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Boy, do we have the bathing suit show for you. <laughs> <laughs> it is the season. It, it's, 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 I've just all of a sudden, and maybe, maybe I just watched too much YouTube. That's probably it. But I just feel like I'm being inundated with ads right now that are basically like, feel guilty if you don't have a six pack and, like, if not just feel guilty, feel shame right. and let that shame drive you to purchase this product that I'm selling. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I it's not just YouTube. I am seeing it a ton on Instagram as well. Mm. And for the first time in years, and maybe this is just the bubble that I'm putting myself in, I'm also seeing a ton of people speak out against that in support of ignoring that or, you know, whatever it is, unfollowing, whatever. I want in your bubble. I'm not, I'm, I'm definitely not seeing that. Granted, where I'm seeing it is where, um, where I'm a pure consumer and I'm not, you know, that's like, if I'm seeing it on YouTube, I'm, I'm not on YouTube to work. Typically I'm on YouTube to like watch Game of Thrones recaps. So it's kind of a different for me. That's, that's me as a pure consumer of media. Um, and so what I'm seeing is general, um, YouTube has learned me very well. It's basically showing me like organic produce, cool beeswax things that replace (laughs) (laughs) saran wrap. Um, and, uh, and, and then thing, and then the things that it doesn't know that I'm not going to engage with the stuff about how I can lose weight quickly and look yeah, amazing YouTube, in a bikini. YouTube does not know me very well because it thinks that I'm a 13 year old boy, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so what I'm seeing in social media and what you and I both feel passionately about and the science extensively supports. So just be assured, not only is this a guaranteed soapbox show with lots of (laughs) tangents, there will be tons of science as well, um, is what I'm going to call the clapbacks on Instagram of certain influencers within the Instagram situation. (laughs) (laughs) It is um, particularly the family that is more silicone than they are human, Mm, promoting teas that will give you the runs and ruin your gut health. And in particular, um, Jamila Jamil from The Good Place. I think that's how you say her name. Um, She's one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. She's just hysterical. And she 
claps back and calls them all out and she'll like repost their photo and say like, yeah, that's exactly um, what got you in this position (laughs) and different things like that. And so I don't know if it's because it's the, you know, circle that I'm creating or if it's because people are not swallowing that stuff anymore, right? Like we talked before the show that we wish that we had an explicit show sometimes so that we could just (laughs) say what we really feel. And I would have used an explicit word right there. Uh Um, All that to say, (laughs) this week, we're going to talk about feelings, bodies, health, all the things that summer gives us the feels for. Um, But first, I want to thank our sponsor for this week, Juve, who you know, Sarah and I both love and use. And hopefully you'll see as we talk through some of the science why this is a great fit. But if you're interested in learning more, you can go to juve.com slash paleo view. That's J-O-O-V-V.com slash paleo view. You know what the problem with the beach body is? Um, everybody is a beach body. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> Hashtag truth. Um, I, I, but I'm looking at all of this. Um, it, it's just uh, predatory marketing is what it is. And what it does is it gets people on the yo-yo. So um, we end up in this um, cycle of poor self-worth. And then we put ourselves on, I mean, even... <sighs> For some people, it's even right. You can do this within the paleo community where you like, you know, combine uh, paleo with, uh, you know, eat your macros or low carb paleo, right? There's all these different strategies for like taking paleo to a more extreme weight loss um, diet. And then, and then we, we lose the, whatever the weight is that we think we need to lose for the summer so that we can fit whatever society tells us we're supposed to, to, you know, look like. And then we maintain that for a couple of months and we end up, you know, fall comes, we get on our, you know, Halloween through New Year's cycle. And then we end up, there's so many people this is true for, we end up having this like cyclical weight loss and weight gain. And that yo-yo dieting is actually more harmful to our health than just, staying overweight. Like it's much, much healthier to be overweight than it is to cycle between what, you know, a doctor, I'm using air quotes here, a doctor might call a healthy weight and being overweight, that going back and forth and cycling, you know, 20 pounds to however many more pounds is way, way more harmful for us than loving our bodies, focusing on health, thinking about things that make us healthier, like nutrient density and activity and getting enough sleep and managing stress and and loving our bodies. And you can get sunlight on the beach, by the way, in whatever body you have. (laughs) It's true. Do you know what? Swimming is really fun uh, for everybody. Walking walking in the sand is a legit healthy activity that will build muscle you don't get otherwise on flat surface. Like there's, there's just so many things about... Whether it's at a beach or it's at a pool or wherever you're feeling uncomfortable, um, hopefully we can help you find ways to recalibrate your thinking. And I, I loved what you said, Sarah, about um, that yo-yo mindset, not just being unhealthy 
physically, but also what it does to us mentally. And it gets Mm -hmm. us in this cycle of shame and negativity. And years ago, I wrote a post on the blog that kind of went viral in the community at the time, because I said, if you're doing more than two paleo challenges a year, you might have disordered eating and you need to rethink how you're approaching it, right? It's it's one thing to say, you know what, I've really gone off track of where I intend to be with my healthy mindset and nutrient density and I want to eat less sugar and I want to eat more vegetables and I'm going to focus on doing that. It's another to be like on a 30-day, you know, strict rule off a 30-day strict rule, especially if when you're off, you're falling face first into pizza buffet. (laughs) And, you know, it's, it's so hard on your body, but it's also so hard on your emotions. And that really will take a toll on how you're able to enjoy your summer. Like, I will say that when I was younger, my family would go to lakes and we would go boating and we would do all these kinds of things. And on my dad's side of the family, I was the only one that was overweight. My, you know, my dad remarried and had a different wife and my sisters look much different than I do. Um, and I had so much guilt and shame. I mean, I just was like, no, I don't want to go on the boat because insert excuse, right? And like, there's so much of my life that I missed because I claimed that I didn't want to do things, but really I was ashamed or I was worried about judgment or I was doing whatever. And it wasn't until I had kids and I realized how my behavior was reflected in them, that they recognize when you are choosing to not get in your bathing suit or choosing to not do things. Like kids are so perceptive, even at a very, very young age. And I was like, you know what? I want them to feel comfortable and happy no matter what they look like. And if I'm choosing to behave this way, how can I want that for them? And so part of it was just saying, I'm going to get over it. Like I, I don't feel that way yet, but if I just do the activity, maybe I'll get there. And I did. And it got to a point now where, you know, we go to the lake and I jump off the dock with them and I do whatever. And I don't care what's jiggling and flapping in the wind, like, because they don't care either. They're so excited to do something fun with their mom, right? Like we can have dive board competitions at the pool. We can, you know, do whatever. And it's like, the minute that you recognize and let go of those things, the more healthy you are mentally and the more healthy you are physically because you're being active. You're not hiding in the shade under a cover up. You know what I mean? Like you're strutting your stuff with confidence and you're swimming and you're jumping and you're, you're having fun. And I just think there's so many things about that. That's so important for all of us to push outside of our comfort zone and know that it's going to be uncomfortable at first, but whether you do it for yourself or you do it for your children or, you know, for other loved ones, like it is so worth doing. Well, and let me get into the physical side of it, because I think that for people listening, it sometimes takes like, we're trying to make a case for letting go of that mentality of having to look a certain way in order to have fun at the beach or the pool or do summer activities in order to get away from yo-yo dieting. And Stacey, I think you just hit the nail on the head in terms of the emotional health piece. Let me like like ice that cake that you just made for me with what happens <laughs> physically when you when you go through these periods of time of rapid weight loss and then like 
being on and off the, the diet wagon, whether that's within a paleo template or not. So when we are losing weight, uh, we lose both body fat and lean muscle mass. It is very, very challenging to design a diet and weight loss plan to preserve muscle mass through fat loss. It is not impossible, but most of the go-to ways that people uh, lose weight, so um, keto is terrible at this. You lose tons of lean muscle mass on a ketogenic diet. Low carb, you're losing lean muscle mass. Straight up calorie restriction, you're losing lean muscle mass. Um, and most diet strategies like outside of paleo basically end up at calorie restrictions. Like you have to consume fewer calories uh, then you're burning like that calories in calories out is a little bit of an oversimplification because there are more things feeding into metabolism, for example, but you still need to have a caloric deficit in order to lose weight. So, uh, with the exception of a uh, sort of high protein diets that are, um, uh, nutrient dense, high protein with lots of vegetables, lots of sleep, and lots of exercise. Like that's how you can preserve the most lean mass while you're losing weight. Um, and even then you may still lose some. That's just like trying to minimize lean muscle um, loss. So most strategies for weight loss, you're going to lose about a pound of muscle per pound of fat. That is like a very typical um, body composition change while you're losing weight, especially anything that's rapid weight loss. Uh, and that includes things like, you know, keto and low carb and severe calorie restriction and carb cycling, all of those things that's going to happen unless you're also eating, you know, the high protein and doing the exercise and lifestyle stuff. So, uh, muscle mass is one of the most important predictors of health. So there's a lot of new research showing that one of the big flaws in BMI in terms of predicting health, it's not just that, you know, a bodybuilder is going to have an obese BMI the same way as somebody who actually is uh, over, like it's uh, overweight versus over fat is sort of the the, the terms that, that medical professionals are starting to use. Um, it's not just that, it's that, how much muscle you have on your body is a much better predictor of health than how much fat is on your body. So if you have um, a lot of, of fat, you know, enough that a doctor would normally tell you, oh, it'd be great if you lose weight, blah, 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 blah. But you also have a lot of muscle. You don't actually have the increased risk of chronic health problems compared to, say, somebody who is what I would call skinny fat. So somebody who uh, doesn't necessarily have a lot of fat stores, but also doesn't have a lot of muscle. They actually can have an increased risk of some chronic health problems compared to the person who has a lot more muscle, even if they're carrying more energy around with them. So when we lose weight, especially rapidly, we're losing that really, really important muscle mass. And then when we fall off the wagon, when we gain that weight back, you know, uh, starting Halloween, uh, we, it's actually easier to put fat back on rather than muscle. Even if you're active, if you are in a, a bulk, we're going to call this a bulking stage, right? Like this is what um, bodybuilders do. Unless, again, you're eating tons of protein and working out, more of the weight that you put back on is going to be fat. And what happens in um, in these different cycles is body composition changes. And there's a lot of science looking at 
people who've gone through multiple weight loss and weight gain cycles, aka the yo-yo, and showing that over time, as they hit, say, their, let's say um, somebody you know, alternates between, let's say, 150 and 180 pounds. I'm just grabbing those numbers out of the air. Um, every time they come back to 180 pounds in February, let's say, um, every cycle at 180 pounds, they actually have higher percent body fat um, because every time they lose weight, they're losing some lean mass. And every time they gain the weight back, they're not putting on all of that lean mass again. And what that does <laughs> is cause a much greater increase in risk for type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and non-alcoholic fatty liver disease than just having stayed at 180 pounds that whole time. And so I, I think it's really important to, I mean, A, emphasize that there are ways to lose weight in a healthy way, but I think this whole equation is much more about focusing on the health part rather than the weight part and really avoiding that... Um, getting sucked into that mentality of having to look a certain way so that we sacrifice health in order to be a certain weight. Cause that's what it, that's what yo-yo dieting is. Um, even, even at the, the, you know, 10, 15 pound cycle level, it is gradually shifting body composition over the cycles towards one that increases risk of chronic disease. It's sacrificing health for weight. And that's, that to me is not a good trade. I am just so in love with everything you just said, and I want you to physically drop the mic. I'm looking at a table and a graph that you included in our notes um, that I'm hoping we can put in the, the show notes for people, but if not, we'll just link to it. Um, that shows not just the weight gain, so 13 of 14 people, so they use the biggest losers as an example mm -hmm. of this, and that's obviously a drastic weight loss mechanism, but it is a, a surefire way to like find a group of people that all lost right. weight and then how the, how they are a few years later. And, um, so, it, you know, you gave the scenario of what would be kind of a summertime yo-yo and the, what I'm more familiar with is this idea of wanting to, or having done a huge amount of weight loss, which I did multiple times in high school from, you know, disordered eating and fat camp and different things like that. And then I would come back and of course be pulled out of, you know, the restrictive eating and the massive amounts of exercise and all of that kind of stuff. And then immediately jump to exactly what we're seeing on this table here. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like if I could just go back in time and just be happy with my like teenage 180 pound body and be like, this is who I am and I'm going to rock it. Like what would have, how would my hormones and my metabolism yeah. things be? Because you're looking, I'm looking at this chart and 13 of the 14 contestants um, regained the weight in the six years and four of them are heavier now than before the competition and nearly all of the contestants um, I'm assuming 13 of the 14 because that's the number of people who regain the weight all have slower metabolisms today than they did six years ago i.e. before they lost the weight and burn fewer calories than expected like if you were to assume what that person's body weight would burn in calories, they're burning less than they would be expected at a resting state. So it makes it that much harder to not gain weight when your metabolism and your hormones are all out of whack from having had this huge loss and regain. Um, and I know it's not included um, 
here, I know we're going to talk about some other things like um, the the hormones of the appetite um, and, and that kind of stuff. But the other thing to consider with weight loss is that you're releasing some of the stored um, hormones in your fat and mm-hmm. some of them can be negative as well. And so if you're constantly doing this cycle, not only do you have the things that you're talking about, Sarah, but you're putting yourself kind of in a, your body in a quote unquote detox cycle where it's like releasing these things that are stored into the fat into your body, which if you're talking about a long-term health improvement, I tell people all the time, like that's the least of your concerns. If you're, if you're getting healthy and you're, you're focused on nutrient density and sleep and all that kind of stuff, like your body will um, effectively manage those things as they go through your system. But if it's in a constant cycle of, you know, you regain 15 pounds and most of that is fat, not lean muscle mass, unless you're a bodybuilder going through a, a, you know, protein uh, muscle building cycle, then the next time you're going to have more fat and then you're going to try to lose that and you're going to release all these things from the fat. And it's just... Like and why? <laughs> because someone said you had to look a certain way when you go to the pool. Like, come on, we all know that's silly. Even though in our heads we all are like, I'm gonna be judged and we feel that way. Like we can just say together, we're a community of friends. We can just say together, that is ridiculous, and I'm gonna go do the thing that I want to do, right? We can do that. I think <sighs> we totally can. Um <laughs> The reason why I put this this graph in our show notes, and our, we definitely can can put it in the show notes for the show, is um, because we've learned a lot from the Biggest Loser contestants in terms of why weight loss maintenance is so hard. So, you know, the science would show that pretty much every diet can help you lose weight. That there's there's um, I mean, we've already sort of talked about the benefits of higher protein for maintaining lean mass, but pretty much Anything that you do that is a weight loss diet, you will be successful in losing weight. It's not actually that hard to lose weight. What's hard is keeping it off. And there's been um, statistics for years showing that approximately 80% of people will uh, gain the weight back over a five-year period after substantial weight loss. And what the Biggest Loser um, contestants showed is that is in large part because losing the weight tank, especially losing weight that quickly tanked their metabolism and their metabolisms did not recover to what, you know, like a bigger body burns more calories, right? Uh, so what, what happened was, um, even returning back to their pre TV show weight, their metabolism did not return back to the level that their metabolism was at prior to losing the weight. And that is likely in part um, because of the loss of lean mass. So our muscles burn a lot more calories than other uh, parts of our body. Like our brains burn about 25% of our calories and our muscles burn most of the rest. Um, so it, it just takes energy to keep muscles going and to, to move around. And if we're losing muscle mass, that directly impacts our basal metabolic rate. The other impact here is on thyroid function. So our thyroid hormones are um, directly controlling our metabolism. And so there's actually a variety of studies now showing that rapid weight loss can reduce thyroid function. And actually, there was a study published in 2017 showing that very low carbohydrate and ketogenic diets can actually cause um, hypothyroidism. So like requiring thyroid hormone replacement. So not just a 
small decrease in thyroid that would lend itself to a, you know, 10 or 15 percent decrease in basal metabolic rate, but like such an impact on thyroid function that uh, the person is diagnosed as hypothyroid and requires levothyroxine uh, in order to bring those levels back up. So rapid weight loss um, has this pretty big effect on metabolism. And then, of course, this is also something that's going to be seen in yo-yo diets. If your metabolism takes a small dip every single time you're losing weight um, because of impact on thyroid function, because of loss of lean mass, and doesn't fully recover as you gain weight, your metabolism is going to be slow, you know, slowly going down, which means that you need fewer calories to lose your weight. So you end up chasing caloric deficits because you need a bigger and bigger caloric deficit in order to, um, in order to actually successfully lose weight every, like every cycle. And then to compound that, there's this additional effect on ghrelin, which is a major hunger hormone. So ghrelin is highest right before we eat. It is the hormone that is responsible for us feeling hungry. It's a really important hormone and feeds into uh, neural health. It feeds into the immune system. It feeds it like it feeds into a lot of other systems. It's another one of these super hormones that does a lot of different things. And there are studies showing that, um, you know, people who lose weight, their uh, baseline ghrelin level. So if you like average out what ghrelin is doing throughout the whole day can be close to double what the level is before losing weight. So when you lose weight quickly, uh, which is what happens with all of this beach body mentality, you uh, reduce your basal metabolic rate, you increase your ghrelin so you're hungrier. So you're basically creating a situation where you're setting yourself up to fail because if the only focus is I must be ripped and thin and whatever and fit into whatever bikini and the focus is not on health, these are the consequences, right? These are the consequences to metabolism that make it so hard to maintain that unhealthy, thin state. Yes. <laughs> I'm just, I'm like a listener. I'm just like, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I really need like an actual physical soapbox to start standing on. <laughs> Um, but I think this is, I mean, and this is one of the reasons why um, I've been writing a lot more about healthy weight loss. I included an entire, you know, two hour session on healthy weight loss in my workshop in February. Um, and it's because I think that there's a lot of myths around weight loss, right? So there's this still the focus is how to lose weight fast, right? How to trick your body into being a fat burning machine, right? Use all of these things that just become taglines onto to products or taglines onto diets. And I think that's the absolute wrong focus. Um, first of all, um, most of us are probably healthier, heavier than we think we need to be or think we want to be um, because having a little bit more stored energy is actually really important for uh, hormone uh, regulation, as well as there's a lot of research showing that, say, survivability of a health crisis is much higher in people who are a little bit overweight can people, compared to people who are, you know, quote, unquote, a healthy weight. So being on that higher end 
of the, the normal BMI range is probably optimal, which is not what most people are aiming for when they think about being, you know, beach body. But also, so, so we probably need to readjust our goals and have healthier goals. But I think that, you know, there's so many ways of measuring health that have nothing to do with what the weight is on the scale or what size clothing we wear. And those other measures of health are actually far more important. I, I mean, it, and I'm not just talking about, you know, it being more important to have consistent energy during the day um, and to have, you know, well-regulated moods and like clear cognition, right? Those things, quality of life, I think are more important than what size clothing I wear. But in things that you can measure in terms of uh, a test, right? So looking at um, hormones, looking at insulin sensitivity, looking at inflammation, looking at body composition, those, those things are really good predictors of chronic disease risk and health. Uh, and they're much better predictors than what the actual number is on a scale. And I think that we get in this cycle where we evaluate health based on a comparison between us and the cover of Sports Illustrated. And I, I, that is absolutely not a picture of health. Um, and, you know, up until only really, you know, the last century, that wasn't even the picture of beauty. Um, and now we're literally sacrificing our health to try to achieve this um, really misguided you know, ideal. And I think it's far more important to focus on getting healthy in order to get thin rather than getting thin to get healthy. If, if I'm going to, you know, make the assumption, this was the hardest thing I had to learn in my own health journey, that the words thin and the word healthy don't actually have the same definition. They don't mean the same thing. That doesn't mean they can't go together. But if I'm going to choose one or the other, I'm going to choose healthy every single time. And well, it's, it's also vice versa. Like there are people who are sick and who are losing weight and who don't want mm -hmm. to. And that also doesn't mean that your body is not worthy of going out and enjoying a beach or a pool mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Like I, I just think that it's, it's such this like judgment and shame of, like you said, anything other than the perfect ideal. I want to take a moment though to point your attention to something that you're probably not aware of. Cause again, this is the bubble that I've created for myself on social media, but, um, this year's swimsuit issue actually has all body types. It has oh. women in burqa bathing suits. It has plus size women. It has a full range of all bodies are beach bodies concept. And I just want to applaud the swimsuit issue for, doing that and and sports illustrated for showing not just that all things are beautiful but that there isn't this perfect ideal that needs to be had for um this this concept and this magazine that they've been doing for a really long time so um because you you mentioned them because i just I wanted called them out i know i just wanted to be like but this month i'm really supporting them <laughs> i no, that i did not know that i'm super impressed i like i think that's a much healthier conversation for us to be having as a society um i think that you know one of the things that we've seen you know over the last 50, 60 years is we've seen 
uh, dietary guidelines be very, very focused on achieving uh, low cardiovascular disease risk factors and, you know, basically thinness, right? Different than healthiness. And as, you know, those obviously, you know, poorly designed dietary guidelines have really failed in terms of achieving those goals, the, the, the conversation has gone, you know, much more and more extreme. It's part of why all of these different fad weight loss diets have had space to grow cult-like followings. It's why, um, why there's so much shame associated with um, struggling to maintain a, a lower body weight. And I think that, you know, step one of correcting this path that we're on as a society is redefining the conversation, redefining those goals, right? The, the goal of lowering cardiovascular disease risk, I think we can maintain that one. But the goal of thinness needs to be switched around to the goal of health and, and defining that in a way that's not just BMI and the number on the scale, which is frankly how most people in Western countries would define health. Um, if you ask, right, the average, you know, person on the street, um, you know, what would make you healthier? Probably nine out of 10 of them are going to say, well, I just need to lose 10 pounds or I just need to lose 30 pounds, whatever it is. And that's almost certainly not actually the answer. Um, probably most of those people, what would make you healthier would be getting more sleep, would be eating more vegetables, um, would be exercising more. That's probably like the one in 10 is the other answer is, oh, I need to exercise more, right? I, I think that defining health in terms of how we feel, our energy levels, um, the easy markers in our blood to measure, um, defining health in terms of mood and how we handle stress. I mean, those things are, are really good indicators of inflammation, of hormone regulation, of mental health, which does translate to physical health. And I think we we can, if we can shift that goal and that focus away from having, you know, a certain clothing size or, you know, a certain uh, weight on the scale, I think we're going to go a long ways towards also fixing a lot of the bad information out there in terms of what the best diet practices are. Yes. (laughs) Again, (laughs) yes. Um, I think your your point about thinness is is really powerful, though, and I just want to like restate it probably for the fourth time. But there are a lot of people who are not well, who are thin and losing weight, and wish that they could put on lean muscle mass mm-hmm. and that they could focus on health because they are struggling with health. And I think if more of us can put ourselves in their shoes, if if we could think to someone we know or, you know, uh, even someone in the news or whom, whomever who is unwell and, and losing weight, if every time we look in the mirror and we think to ourselves, I wish I was thinner, you could think of that person and say to yourself, how would that person feel about the things that I'm saying to myself and thinking mm-hmm. to myself right now? I think it would be really powerful in helping to shift the mindset because then we can think to ourselves, health, what am I yeah. doing and what can I do 
to focus on my health. And that is really the crux of everything we talk about on the show is stepping away from the mindset of thinness being healthy, which I could not agree with you more, is the most detrimental thing that the society really decided a long time ago. And then they arbitrarily decided that some things would make us thin that actually have created incredible unhealthy weight gain for right. for our population. Um, but setting that aside, if we we have to learn to let go of this mentality um, of of thinness being the ideal, because the ideal is health, and that looks different for everybody. Some people will be thin, some people will not, and we can all coexist within this concept of health. And loving each other and respecting each other without needing to be the same. Like we are all unique individuals for a reason and that is okay. And there is beauty and difference. Like I know that I'm on Mm. this like ridiculous soapbox, but I just really feel like the things that make us unique and individual really truly are beautiful. And it's so hard to see that you can see it in others, but you can't see it in yourself. Right. So what I'm, what I'd love for everybody to do is to find that thing, whatever it is that, um, when you look in the mirror, what negative thoughts come and what, what can you do to shift that? Not just to turn the negative thoughts off, but to help turn that into something positive and encouraging for yourself um, because it really will make such a difference in how you choose to live your life and how you see your life and how you focus on health. Um, that mindset of negativity will snowball into um disordered eating for most people, right? Because then you're you're overly restrictive and you're doing this yo-yo thing that we've talked about. And then on the other side of that, as soon as someone is off that diet mentality, um, you go right back to whatever it was you were doing, whether you've reached your goal or not. And then if you didn't reach your goal, you have all the shame like, oh, well, now I shouldn't have done this because blah, blah, blah. And you should on purpose. Or if you did achieve your goal and now you go back to what you're doing, in most cases, as we've looked at, your result is going to change. And then you have all this guilt about that, right? Instead of just saying, I'm going to make the best choices I can and be as healthy as I can and be accepting of who I am today. And then I can focus on something else in the future. But that idea of um, thinking about how someone would feel if they heard me saying things about myself or thinking things to myself works really well for me. So I'm hoping that it helps others the same way. The last thing I want to mention is this idea of like, all bodies are swimsuit bodies, all bodies are bikini bodies can sometimes be taken a little too far. And I just, not that, not that it's taken too far to the extreme of not doing what you want to do. But in this weird bubble that I've talked about, I've created, I've also seen that there are so many people who feel pressured to then wear a bikini to prove that anybody is bikini body Mm. and blah, blah, blah. Like, I genuinely 100% just want to encourage you to do what you are truly comfortable in. And that might mean stepping outside your comfort zone to be in a bathing suit and going off the diving board with your kids when they ask or whatever it is. But if you would feel more comfortable doing that in 
not a bikini, by all means, don't feel like society is pressuring right. you to, to do that. And, um, you know, I, I paddleboard in the summer. I am more comfortable in a fuller paddleboard bathing suit. Like I'm bending over and my butt's in the air and it's just like, <laughs> no, I prefer a little skirt. Thanks. Like, and that's not because I'm, sh you know, feeling shame. It's because that's what I'm more comfortable in. So yeah. I just want to encourage everyone as we kind of wrap up the show and have had all of these tangents and all of that kind of stuff that there is a difference between, you know, getting outside your comfort zone and, and loving yourself and respecting yourself and pushing yourself to feel uncomfortable because that's not going to help you feel any yeah. better. Yeah. It's, um, I don't think the fake it till you make it mentality works. It doesn't work for me for body image. Um, I would feel much better wearing something that I know is flattering. And I also, I gravitate towards more modest, uh, maybe this is just my age, but you know, more modest, even like tank tops. Like I, that's, that's what I feel more comfortable in. And, but I also, um, that's what I feel more, um, you know, just, I feel pretty like it's that that's it's just something that resonates with me there's something about my yes. personality that that's what I would rather wear and I I don't feel comfortable you know showing my whole you know back even though I have a beautiful back and it's really muscular but to me that's when I find out in public I I don't know I feel a little mutton dressed as lambsy maybe but I also I just love everything about what you just said it's like finding the thing that makes you feel beautiful you owned and accepted that you have a beautiful muscular back and you don't want to show it off. Like this yes. is, this is just, I'm just so in love with your mental state right now, Sarah, I'm giving you a virtual hug <laughs> and you know how much I don't give those out. I so, know, but I think we need to give all of our listeners a virtual hug this week because yes. I think we've challenged a lot of, um, a lot of emotions this week, because even when you feel like you're doing all of the healthy things right, it's really hard to see all of that propaganda where we started the show and not second guess yourself. And so that's really the whole point of this show is to say, like, don't like shut it off. Find Stacy's bubble because Stacy's bubble sounds great. <laughs> I am going to join that bubble. I would be. Um, you're welcome to go to my Instagram and look at the people that I'm following. Just <laughs> that's yep. my bubble. Yep. That's that's my plan. Um, and, and, and really, you know, focus on the most important thing, which is honoring yourself and respecting yourself enough to make the healthy choice, not the societal pressure choice. Mike drop. Yeah. I really love that. You know what else I love? I love Juve, our sponsor for this week's episode. <laughs> I was like, where are you going with this? <laughs> So I'm going to let you talk about you before you jump into the science though. I want to ask a listener question that has been asked of me several times. And I feel like I'm not answering it as adequately as you could. The new Juve Go, the smaller, lower price point, mm -hmm. good entry model for people to start with. Um, can you explain best use and efficiency of that? Because I think people want to start and it's an affordable way to do it, but they want to see results, right? Right. I think it really depends on what your goals are. So, you know, the, what's really cool about the Juve is it's two different wavelengths and it's two different wavelengths that are 
uh, clinically proven, right? There's like over 3,000 different clinical studies on these wavelengths showing benefits to different systems, but the wavelengths work independently of each other. So this is where the Juve Go is a little bit different than than all of the other models because everything else combines red light, which at 660 nanometer wavelengths, and near infrared at 850 nanometers. Um, the Juve Go is only the red light, so it's only 660, and that wavelength is responsible for more of the uh, skin health benefits, so more of the surface benefits. So there is some anti-inflammatory processes being stimulated by that wavelength, but Generally, that wavelength is the more powerful wavelength for uh, wrinkle reduction, scar reduction, uh, skin tightening, collagen, right, increase in collagen formation in skin. So a lot of the um, medispa type benefits of red light therapy, um, a lot of the cosmetic benefits, you're going to get that more with the red light. So you can use the Juve Go for that. You um, can literally, you know, it's a really good size for getting your face. Um, but I like to, uh, I bring it traveling with me and it's, I find that red light, there's something very, very relaxing. So for me, the red light also, I've noticed an improvement in my sleep quality traveling. If I do two or three 10 minute sessions with the Juve Go, sort of moving it around, I typically just throw it in my waistband and, and walk around with it on cause it's so small. Um, it, you know, like it's, it's easy to just do that. Um, but I've noticed an improvement in my sleep quality when I'm traveling. And of course, like sleep and travel often don't go together very well. But generally, those red light wavelengths are going to be very noticeable in terms of surface benefits. But if you're somebody who is looking at red and near infrared light therapy for pain management, for reducing inflammation, um, even, you know, there are some mild weight loss benefits from red light therapy, but that's more the near infrared wavelengths, 850 nanometer wavelength. So in, if that's more what you're looking for, I would actually suggest starting with a mini instead of the Go. Um, it is a little bit more of an investment, but it still has the Lego aspect of the other big Juve models. So you can still take a mini and build off of it. You can't build off of the Juve Go. And the, the mini is going to allow you to experience the benefits of both of those wavelengths. Um, I would say then the other thing that's really, the, I mean, the only other thing you need to know is that the energy deposition is the same. It's about four to six joules per centimeter squared per minute. So per centimeter squared is the part where you get a different effect with a mini versus like, you know, having, you know, four solos together in the quad. Um, and it's basically how much of your area, your body area that you can actually treat in an amount of time. So with the mini, you can just move it around. Um, depend, you could probably set it up so that it's, um, you know, in your bedroom while you're relaxing. You can do a couple of different spots of your body in the morning once you're out of the shower and a couple different spots in the evening when you're getting ready for bed, like you can break that up and, and build it throughout the day. But with a mini, it's just going to take longer to hit that sort of therapeutic windows, typically about 10 minutes. So you're looking at 40 to 60 joules per centimeter squared of total energy deposition. So to hit 10 minutes, multiple times, you have to do it multiple times, right? So with the mini, you might have to, depending on how 
you know, depending on how tall you are and how big you are, that might be one, two, I'm thinking like six, maybe six, six sessions to get, my body would probably be six sessions with the mini, um, compared to if you had something like the quad, you can get that 10 minutes done, you know, one, one time facing it, one time facing away from it. And you're probably going to end up with a little bit more energy deposition, um, just because it's also wider. So that's, that's the main difference between like mini solo and all of the different options that are, are, you know, stacking solos together is efficiency like how much time do you have to, to dedicate it to it. But in terms of testing it out and seeing if, um, you really notice a difference with the therapeutic potential of the juve. I would say if you're if you're looking for those deeper benefits, the more anti-inflammatory benefits, pain management benefits, I would recommend starting with a mini instead of a go. Um, the go is great if you're really just thinking about the skin health benefits, um, or if you're like a juve addict like I am and you can't possibly imagine traveling without one. That's why I love my juve go because it's at least some of the light therapy when I'm traveling. So it's not like if I go away for a week that I'm completely without it. Um, but it is just the red light. So it's definitely more of the surface benefits. So I went to our website, curious what it looked like, if I'm going to be honest, juve.com. That's J-O-O-V-V.com slash paleo view. And did you know that they offer a 60 day free trial and return policy? So if you're a listener and not sure whether or not um, the investment of, for example, a quad, which is the equivalent of what Sarah and I have, um, you can try it. I've really never paid attention to uh, their refund policy because I, I, I'm like, how no, can but I what I'm saying is that I feel like. Them? I feel like a brand that stands behind their, and this is mm-hmm. not part of the copy that they send us or anything that I've even warned Sarah about. Cause <laughs> I was just literally poking around the website. No, but I, but it's, it's big on their website as a, like, if you're nervous, they do a, a 60 day trial. So I, because I've heard from so many listeners that have read your science, you have a blog post in the science of this that we'll link in the show notes. Um, you and I both use it. And it, it is when you're looking at the larger models, not just the Go or, or the Mini, a significant investment. And But that is also where you're going to see the most benefit from a therapeutic perspective. And so if this is something you wish you could, you know, try out, Juve believes in their products there and I believe you're going to mm-hmm. like their product. It is something that you might want to look into. I, I think that's t- like, I think that's the best of all. All that to say, we... Did not mean to go on a rant, but uh, this whole <laughs> we show. Every time with you. This whole show has just been a rant. So there we have it. Um, if you want to check it out yourself, any of the things that we just <laughs> talked about, it's all straight on their website, which is where I found the information. Juve.com slash paleo view. That's J O O V V dot com forward slash paleo view. Look at you. You're such a podcaster. Uh, It's like we've been doing this for a while. Thank you so much for listening this week. We hope that it inspires you to have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend and let go of all the stuff and just enjoy spending time with your family if that's what you're doing or 
you know, however you are spending the weekend, um, as well as if you're listening to this two years later, again, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We hope that you have a wonderful holiday weekend and we will, of course, be back again next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal. Why can't you search on the people you're following? Um, I don't know. I, I also had the, like, Instagram, ch- like, changed again. I was like, ah, oh, it looks different. I, I was just, I'm too old for you to keep changing how you look. <laughs> because then I have to learn where everything is again. And I, I just, I want to reserve all of my neuroplasticity for like important learning, not for relearning social media. Like I feel like once I understand how to use social media, that should just be there. But if it changes every six months, that I'm like wasting all my valuable learning brain energy on a thing that I should already know. And instead I could be learning like cool things like vector calculus. (laughs) Yep. That's what you would have been spending your time on. I, I, it's like one of those, you know, like the hobbies that you don't make time for, but you keep telling yourself like someday I'm going to come back to it. Even like when I went to grad school, I love doing math so much. I used to just like solve systems of differential equations just for fun to relax in the evenings. And I did that for, it was like, it petered out over the first two years of grad school. And then I like sort of stopped doing it. Um, but it was one of those things that I, I like always wanted to go back and like reteach myself advanced calculus because it was something I always found really soothing. And, uh, and so it's like, it's on my like retirement hobby list, like along with gardening and um, uh, rock climbing. I also am afraid of heights, so I don't know why rock climbing is on my to-do in retirement list. I just want... <laughs> also, you do understand when you're retired, your bones are like, Meh. My bones are going to be super great because I'm looking after myself. Okay. Um, All right, I'm ready. maybe I'll retire early. I'm just saying that those are my three things. Gardening, rock climbing, and vector calculus. <laughs> no foreign languages. Ooh, ooh, I would love to get my French back fluent again rather than as stilted as I try to like reach back into the dusty old memory for words Mm, yeah okay four four new hobbies for retirement seeking the truth never gets old introducing June's journey the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.